Would you stand with me and let's read from Ephesians chapter 4 together. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would infuse this place with the knowledge of you today. I pray that you give us ears to hear, you give us hearts to understand, that we would receive what you want to say to us, your family. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Before I go into this week, I want to quickly uh, put in a plug for the next seven weeks, seven statements of faith. Uh, one of the things that I've discovered, I was counseling, I was meeting with a, a young couple a few weeks ago who wanted to get married. In fact, they've gotten married. They wanted me to do the ceremony. And, when, uh, and I didn't know them. And when somebody I don't know wants me to do the ceremony, that's all, that, that's, there's a, kind of a red flag there. But I'll talk to them, that's for sure. And in talking to him on the phone, you know, I said, yeah, we're, we're Christians. We, we, we don't have a pastor, but we, uh, we want a, a Christian pastor to do our ceremony. And so I sat down and talked with him. And, and as I began to talk with him, I began to go, what kind of Christians is, are, is this? You know, I, I kept hearing, we're very religious. And I finally said, wait a minute, what does that mean? When you say I'm religious, what are you, what are you, what are you saying? And uh, some really strange stuff started coming out. And I began to realize that, uh, you know, there are just a whole lot of people, a lot of people who think they're Christians don't have a clue what Christianity is about. They think they're Christians because they were born in this country and mommy and daddy went to church sometime. Uh, but these next seven weeks, we're going to be talking about what Christians really believe. What they believe about the Father. What, who is Jesus? What did He do? Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? What does, what does He do? What, what is mankind? That, and what, how did we get this way? What's the situation we're in? You know, what's, what's going to ultimately happen? So the next seven weeks are pretty important, especially if you're the kind of person that when someone said, well, what do you believe? There would be a long, awkward pause after that. So this is this is this important series coming up. But today we're going to be talking about um, the vision for the Springhouse Worship and Arts Center. And I have to admit that I always hated the question, "What is your vision?" And on its own, it's a legitimate question. But in the cultural context that we have, when people ask that question in uh, in the church, now vision's important. Don't get me wrong. Without a vision, the people cast off restraint. Uh, 
Vision is hard to get. I mean, people spend a lot of money and they go to a lot of places trying to get vision. They read a lot of books. And there's really only one book that you really need to read to, to get a vision for a church. But anyway, be that as it may, when people ask that question, what is, what is your vision, uh, in the cultural context that we have, it often smacks of the church as corporation and the pastor as entrepreneur and the people as shareholders in the corporation. And uh, you, you know, what, what are you doing to improve our stock, pastor, kind of thing. This is not biblical. That, that is not a biblical concept for what a church is. Uh, I, I'm going to talk specifically about our vision here, but if you don't get any of that and you get this, this is the most important thing to get. Because when the Bible talks about the church, it does not talk about it in terms of corporate America. It talks about, when, when the Bible uh, uh, talks about the church, it talks about it, it uses words that have to do with family. That's what it's about. And some families are like this. And all families are like this occasionally. But just remember, when, you're, when, you're, when your family starts getting this way, that, that's not the time to turn and run. Because if you're, a little, if you're a, a little bright yellow boy with bug eyes and a flat head, there's a lot of families won't take you in. There's, <laughs> there's really only one that's likely to have you, so you, you need to stick with them when you get right down to it. You know, when the church talks about a family, it, it, it talks about really from beginning to end. From, it talks about from, from infancy to childhood to adolescence to maturity to, to strength to, to wisdom to decline and, and ultimately to, to leaving this earth the kinds of words that it uses are family words bride children father brother sister birth heir household those are the kinds of words that the bible uses to describe the church to talk about what the church is it also talks about it as a body but it talks about it in 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 family terms and if, uh, if a family ran on the corporate America model, it would not be a very nurturing family. You know, call together a family gathering, you know. Mike, you didn't make any money this last quarter, but your grades were good. And so uh, you've been good for, the, for brand recognition for this family. Yeah. Paula, your grades, uh-uh. Uh, you got to get a job. Because you, you got to start bringing some money into the family. I, you know, that's, that's how a corporate family would work. And nobody would really want to be a part of that. Get right down to it. And so I really don't know why we would want to be a part of that necessarily as a church. My first series here, almost 25 years ago, 25 years ago, uh, the first Sunday in, uh, in July, uh, the text that I used because it was my vision for a church was Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 the ones that we read today and a portion of them says to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ that's my vision for the church my vision for the church is to prepare God's people for works of service. My vision for the church is for us all to become mature. Later on, it, it, it says that we'll no longer be infants. We'll grow up. We'll, we, will, we will become mature. It's my goal, and it's accomplished in exactly the same way 
that one successfully raises a family. The person or the people who are in charge of raising the family do things like this. They feed them, protect them, teach them, correct them, encourage them, comfort them. You know, they get a boo-boo, somebody's got to kiss it. Get hungry, somebody's got to make a meal. Get scared, somebody's got to cover and protect. Get discouraged, somebody's got to go, no, no, you can do this. You, you can learn your multiplication tables. You know, you can, you can learn the alphabet. You can, somebody helped you, somebody encouraged you to do that. You get right down to it. And it's the same thing, in my mind, in the church. It's what Paul told Timothy to do. He said, preach the word, feed them. Be prepared, in season and out of season. Correct when you have to. Rebuke when you need to. Encourage when that's what's called for. And do it with great patience and careful instruction. Because that's why God gave the gift of leaders to the church is so this would happen. You know, where, where would I like to lead us? Where would I like to lead our church? Well, when I think of our church, I'm, I'm thinking of you. Where would I like to lead you? Well, I, green pastures? Still waters? Places where you can be fruitful? That's, that's my vision. When I first came, I wanted this to be a place where Christians could become healthy and strong, and that's really what... Uh, that's really what a family does as well, both the uh, both infants and, and the wounded. And so, and, you know, God, I've got a great idea for a church. God, I'd like a church where you, where you can send all these wounded Christians because we've been overseas for three years and, and I knew a lot of the flock had scattered that I was aware of. And I went, you, you can send all these wounded Christians and we'll just have a healthy environment and everybody will get healthy and strong and happy. I, I could really... I, I think I'm going to like this. And then God answered that prayer. <laughs> and I began to realize that when you approach a wounded animal, it comes after you. <laughs> it absolutely does. It's the healthy ones that let you pet them. You know, and, and I'm not you know, comparing the people in the church to you know, pets or animals or anything, but, but I'm just saying that when you're wounded, you have a tendency to, to strike back. And, you know, and after a while, I went, God, I think there's probably another vision for this church. I think I had a bad idea. And God said, well, that, that, yeah, but it wasn't your idea. It's mine, so we're going to keep on doing this. Yeah. And that's great. You, 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 let, you, let him, you let him do it. A loving home is where they say, I've never been to the hospital. I've never been to see a sick person at the hospital who wasn't going, man, hopefully I'm going home today. Hopefully they're going to let me out of here tomorrow. I want to be at home. Home's where the healing takes place. I mean, whether you're leaving this world or staying in it, home's where you want to be. And let me just say one other thing before I get into the specifics, because I've been asked a couple of times, why we call this campus a center, Worship and Arts Center, uh, rather than Worship and Arts Church, Springhouse Worship and Arts Church. And we call it Worship and Arts Center because that's what it is. You see, the church is something living. The church is not dead. The church is not brick and mortar and concrete and carpet and wood. The church is, is people. 
And when we got in the habit, when we began to name our meeting places churches, I think that began to send the wrong message. You know, this, Wayne talked about this being a sacrament. This is a sacrament, and in the early service he said it's a sacrament for the church. It is a sacrament for the church. You know what? This building doesn't eat any bread, doesn't drink any juice. The church does, and that's you. This building doesn't get married. That's a sacrament. You do. This building doesn't get baptized, hopefully. <laughs> you do. This building won't have a funeral for it someday. You will. Those, those, are, those are sacraments, and they're for the church, and, and, and you are the church, and it's okay to call the place where we meet a center. You know, we've got family life centers. We've got uh, Christian centers. We've got Murfreesboro's got a, a, a world outreach center. You know, and Smyrna has a worship and arts center, but it's, it's a place where the church operates out of, and so that's, that's how we do that. Well, like any family, like any local church, we each have our own unique personality and our own unique emphasis, and Springhouse is no exception, and I have four, four things that I want to touch on, four areas that I want to touch on. First one is worship. Uh, I was a worship leader from 1997 to 1995. Uh, and I may have been a worship pastor, but nobody knew that. Nobody called me pastor. I was a worship leader. And that's okay, because that's really what I was. And, uh, and really, when, I, uh, when we went overseas in 1995, I mean, worship was still my heart. I didn't think, I, I wasn't wanting to go be a, a senior pastor or anything. I, I was a worship pastor. Yeah, that, that's, that's what really, that's what really, turned me on and while I was gone uh, while, while I was overseas you know the Lord kind of began to shift that vision and then when I got here uh, I knew that it wasn't what I was supposed to do but boy I sure wanted us to do it I wanted I wanted the Lord to send somebody along and let me just say that the worship you know worship is much bigger than music the whole Bible's about worship uh, we're going to take a series later on this year and, and talk about worship so I'm only going to spend just a little bit of time here in this, but uh, let me also say that um, the connection that we have, the connection that the Lord put together between uh, us and, and Wayne goes back a long, long way. The, uh, the oldish looking guy in the back, <laughs> that was Wayne at a younger time. The uh, handsome guy in the front, Yeah, I didn't know if y'all had figured that out yet or not. That was 78, I believe it was. And, uh, and really, it was worship. There's the context that the Lord brought us together in. Because I was worship leader at the church, that's why Wayne came up and said, I want to meet you afterwards. And we got to know each other from there. And then we led worship together with the youth. And then uh, in 1981, December of 1981, I, uh, I came to Wayne and I said, you know, Wayne, I, I'm, I've just got so much going on and, I, and I'm leading worship three times a week at the church. Will you take one of the evening services? You can, have, you can have Sunday evening, you can have Tuesday evening, either one. We met on Tuesday evening. Have either one of them. Will you do that? Uh, you know, and that was the first time that he had really been asked to come up and, and lead worship. And he said, no. Which, if you know Wayne, that's not <laughs> that's not necessarily unusual. But he, but he, uh, <laughs> but he, 
But he came back a month later and said, you know, I, I really think I'm supposed to do that. I mean, some people just hear from God a lot quicker than others do. <laughs> yeah. It's so great to have the microphone. But he, uh, and, and, you know, he started leading worship at that, at that point in time. And as time went by, the Lord sent us in our different directions, but uh, that was clearly something that the Lord had in both of our hearts. And let me just say, when I first came here, the idea of Wayne Berry coming to be the worship pastor at this church was, uh, it didn't exist. I mean, I, I never thought that would happen. And uh, Margaret, uh, even when it began to be kind of coming into existence, Margaret mentioned that Wayne was a, an acquired taste. And we weren't sure if we could acquire that taste or not. But the other side of it was Smyrna was an acquired taste in those days as well. And I wasn't sure if he could acquire that or not. But, uh, but the Lord put that together. And let me just say one, one other, I mean, and it's, it's got a long history uh, of worship. Uh, I just want to mention one other thing before I move on. Like I said, I'm not going to talk much about worship right now. Our first Sunday here was not exactly like it is today uh, in terms of worship. We had a piano player because one showed up that morning, and it was her first Sunday at the church. Uh, and I remember uh, getting out of my, uh, it's time for service, so I got out of my office and I walked through the, the, the foyer back over there in the old building into what is now the youth area. And uh, the foyer was very easy to walk through because there was no one in it. And you know, I walk, walked into the foyer, and as I walked into the back of the room, there was a woman standing up at the pulpit, and I don't know who it was. I think it was Cheryl Gadboyce, but I'm not sure. But there was a woman standing up at the pulpit that I didn't know saying, all y'all who want to be in the choir, y'all come on up here now. And I'm, and I'm back here going, oh, praise God. So that's how we get our choir, is it? Yeah. Uh, and a few of them came up. Yeah, they sure did. But you know what? Here's the thing that has occurred to me. One thing that really hasn't changed. I mean, we, not, we may not be saying, y'all come on up here now. Everybody who wants to be on the worship team today. But every person who walks in that door, we invite you to be a part of the choir today yeah y'all come on get get in the choir worship him take it to him so worship is one of the things uh another area is is missions and um most of you are familiar with matthew 28 19 and 20 great commission therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Uh, as I said, Margaret and I have been in Zimbabwe for three years before coming here as missionaries. Um, we were there as missionaries, came here. And I had absolutely no intention of ever being a missionary because my dad was a pastor. And when missionaries came to our church, it was interesting because it was a kind of a change of pace, but they were weird people. And they weren't the kind of people that I really felt like I wanted to hang out with much. And not being a weird person myself, <laughs> I just couldn't really see being on the mission field. But the Lord sent us there, really planted it in our hearts, and it was, uh, when we came back here, it was something that, that was strong in our hearts. Now, there's another, there's another stream flowing here 
uh, as there often is. The Lord has joined the kobolds and the meeks uh, together in ways that are his ways, absolutely. And so we've been, we've been together for a long time. This is a picture of us way back when. I call this picture people with beautiful legs. Yeah, and socks. Yes, of course. And then let this be a cautionary warning to you teenagers. I mean, whatever is cool today, go ahead and go for it. It's cool. But just know, someday you're going to look at it and people will laugh. It's the way life is. Um, can't get a real good close-up there. Bruce and Jill are in the middle. Margaret and I are the, are the ones on the outside there. And, and the Lord has linked us up for, gee, over 35 years now. Uh, 1977, uh, we were all youth workers. Uh, Mike Nelson was a youth pastor. We were all youth workers at the same church together. And then later that year, Bruce became the youth pastor. And for the next four years, four, four and a half years, Margaret and I were youth leaders with him and then uh, he moved in uh, and into another position in the church and I became the youth pastor so we were on staff together at uh, at the Lord's Chapel over in Brentwood and then uh, in 81 I believe it was Bruce and I both met a man named Ezekiel Goody from Zimbabwe who uh, was looking for people to come and teach in his Bible school and Bruce and Jill uh, left in early 82 I believe it was January, something like that, uh, for Zimbabwe. And then uh, in the spring of 85, no, 82, 83, no, is that 82, 83, yeah, four, yeah, 84. Like I said, I did say 84, right? Okay, January of 84, Bruce and Jill left to go to Zimbabwe. Uh, about 15 months later, Margaret and I left. We lived together for, for a while while we were over there. Uh, and then uh, they kicked us out, and we went and found some place else to live. But uh, we, were, we were teaching together at, uh, at the Bible school, and then at the end of that year, they left. We stayed two more years. They came and ended up ministering in Rutherford County. We came back, uh, came and ended up ministering in Rutherford County. And then uh, a year after I had been here, uh, Bruce came on staff at the church. And uh, so that means that next year will be their 25th anniversary at the church. So let's not forget that. And, uh, and when Bruce came on staff, I mean, it was crazy because I, I, I had a friend, a missionary friend, one of those weird people. And I said, you know, I got this guy who I really feel like should come on staff, but we can't afford to bring anybody on staff. And he said, well, what'd God say? Okay, so we brought Bruce on staff, and he, uh, when he came on, his desire and my desire, both of us, was that someday he'd be a full-time missions pastor. And at that time, we might as well have been thinking, well, let's send him to Mars. <laughs> because the idea of a full-time missions pastor, and especially our church supporting a full-time missions pastor, was just... It was bonkers. It really was. It, was it, it, it had to be a God thing, but that was, that was what was in our hearts. And the Lord has brought it to pass. Amen. I mean, from weary to the world, uh, wherever Bruce goes, they're always glad to see him come. Amen. With good reason. Now, as a church, 
Uh, just to give you some idea, we support 24 missionaries right now in 11 different countries. And we used to support more, but, but as attrition took over, we actually, our, our theory is we, we, we want to know the people that we're working with. We don't want to just send $100 a month over to a bunch of strangers that we don't know anything about. We want to know, know the people that we're working with. And so the countries that we're involved in are uh, Australia, Cambodia, Guatemala, Honduras, Israel, Ivory Coast, Jamaica, Kenya, Mexico, USA, USA, yes, USA, they need missionaries, Zimbabwe, uh, and we know the people that we're working with in every single one of those places. Last year, the budget at the church, well, the budget actually was a little less, but the, the offerings that came in, the unrestricted offerings last year, were right just under $800,000. We tithe off of what comes in. I mean, we, don't, we don't just tell you to tithe. As a church, we tithe. And so uh, last year we tithed $79,821 to missions. And when I, when I say missions, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not, you know, sometimes churches include in missions their outreach budget. Their, you know, their, their advertising, their um, uh, website, their uh, television or whatever they do. No, this, this is money to ministries outside of Springhouse. That's what we consider the tithe to be. Uh, but in addition to that, there was $112,949 designated for missions that came through this church last year. And in addition to that, there was $152,568 that was spent on mission trips through this church last year. You go, well, now is that... Missions, oh yeah, that's, that's definitely missions. It changes people's lives and changes the hearts of the ones who go. And, and the, the missionaries who are overseas, when people come to them, you don't know what that does for them. I mean, it really... So actually, last year, we spent $345,338 on missions, and that doesn't even include the fact that we have a missions pastor. He's not included in that. Missions is important to us as a church so sometimes people get the idea that oh that's the arch church or you know something they do the place well yeah we are the arch church yeah we do the place but we don't ignore these other things i mean there are things that that we're very committed to and missions is one of those things that we are very committed to we're about building the kingdom not just a local church third thing generations over in mark uh Chapter 10, there's a story of uh, people bringing little children to Jesus. And the disciples see it, and they get all huffy about it and go, oh, don't bother him, you know, leave him alone. And I love what it says that Jesus says about it. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. I like that word in this context. He was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. That's something to ponder. And he took the children in his arms and put his hands on them and blessed them. When I was growing up, uh, my dad was a pastor, and I hated hearing that children were the church of tomorrow. That's impossible. That's impossible. Uh, you know, if you, if you have a little child in your home, is that the family of tomorrow? No, it's the family of right now. That's why it is a family. If you belong to the church, 
You're the church. Yeah. Just that simple. And uh, let's see how long, 38 years ago. 38 years ago? 37 years ago. The Lord brought a, a young lady into my life. And as you can tell, it wasn't just her oatmeal cookies that, uh, <laughs> that attracted me to her. And before we met, she had just finished her degree in Christian education uh, and had every intention of going on staff at a church somewhere to be a, a children's pastor. But she gave all of that up because she met the man. <laughs> and you know what? It really, I, I can't, I, I mean, God told her. So, I mean, yeah, thank you. He told her that one. And she gave all that up. And it was actually nine years before she got to really do much of that at all. I mean, we taught some Sunday school and, and stuff, but uh, the last three months we were at the Lord's Chapel, they, they let her uh, do the Christian ed program. And then when we were in Zimbabwe, she got to do it for a little while. And, uh, and then uh, she served here in a lay capacity for five years before coming on part-time and then full-time. And, and as, uh, as with worship and missions, this this is what I want to say. As with worship and missions, this generation's thing is hardwired into this family. This isn't, this isn't something where we kind of went, oh, what kind of vision can we have? No, it, it's something that God had, had put in there and, and integrated into, uh, into what this church had to be. And let me just say this. The opportunity to teach and minister to little ones is a magnificent magnificent gift look at these you may recognize some of these people one of the things that happens with children is they grow up they get bigger but here's here's something else you know if if all you know the only thing you know okay quit looking at the picture I don't have a lot of time right now if the only thing you know is Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If that's all you know, people will not pay money to come to your conference or buy your books. But there is a segment of the body of Christ that will absolutely eat that up that you can minister to. You know, when it comes to worship, I know you reach a place in life where things don't move the way they used to move. And when they do, they hurt. <laughs> and so, you know, I understand everybody not being all that. But, but here's the thing, these little ones, you minister to them, and I promise you, you'll find things begin to move the way they used to move again, some of the things. Doesn't hurt nearly as much as it did, and if it does, there's a bunch of hugs to take it away. There's, there's, I remember every Sunday school teacher I ever had. And I thought every single one of them 
was Peter, James, and John rolled up into one package. Even the women. I'm just telling you, this is about, this is about family. This is about the body of Christ. This is important. We all need, they need your wisdom. You, you, need, you need their love. You need their life. Jesus said, the king, the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whoever did, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And so when you're, whether you're holding that little baby in the nursery or you're cleaning up after that toddler in the toddler class or you're, 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 you're teaching some kindergartner how to say the name Jesus, he's there. He's there. His is the face you're looking into. He doesn't just hang out in here and listen to the music. He's there. We believe that very strongly in this church. And then uh, finally, I'll, I'll get to this arts thing. Uh, the arts part of the vision here was kind of like the unexpected child that comes along later in life. My, my, my degree was in theater, but I did not get a theater degree going, boy, when I become a preacher, this is really going to help. <laughs> and and Margaret's, Margaret's minor was in, was in theater, but I mean, we I had no idea about that. Uh, in fact, we got married in 76. We did our last major production uh, in, 1990, in 1977. We were in a hideous production of King Lear, which made it very easy to lay the theater down <laughs> and walk away from it. And we did. You know, I, I just thought, okay, that chapter's closed. That's a part of my life. That, And when we came here in 88, then in 1996, yeah, 1996, uh, we discovered that we had teenagers in our house living under our roof. And they, uh, they, were, they were talented, they liked theater, and they had friends who were the same way. And so I wrote this little play called Long Road Home, and we, we cast it, and we, we did the play. And this, is, this was the cast from it. We had, uh, uh, we had demons and, and angels and bare midriffs in, in this play. Uh, so it was quite, quite an attraction. And it was actually, it was actually a good play. And, and it wasn't like, okay, now we've started a theater, but it was like God just sort of, the next thing we know, we looked up and God began to bring some people along, people who had a heart for this sort of thing, people who, this is what they, this is, uh, th this is what they were, were desiring, looking for, this, this was their gifts. And I began to realize that the arts, see, up until that time, I've been thinking, you know, we need to, we need to what we need to do here is we need to build a gymnasium. Boy, that'll bring them in. We'll, uh, we'll build a gymnasium. People can come and play basketball and meet Jesus. And we had softball teams and stuff going. I got nothing against softball teams. I got nothing against basketball teams. It's soccer teams that bother me. But <laughs> actually, no, I'm fine. I'm fine with soccer as well. But, uh, and, and then I, I'll never forget Gary Montgomery saying to me one time, he said, uh, hey, you know, Pastor? <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've, played a lot, I've been on a lot of softball teams, but I, I, don't think, uh, I don't think I've ever seen anybody get saved playing softball. You know, he's right. And yet, you know, the, the arts touches you here. 
That's, that's where it touches you. you and, and they're powerful. And I begin to think, wow. You know, the first thing God tells us about himself is he's a creator. In the beginning, God created. It's the first revelation that we have of him and of his son. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made that nothing uh, was made that has been made. And the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. He was involved in this, this making and, and creating that was that was going on. And then uh, Colossians uh, 1, 18 through 20. I love this passage of Scripture, and I'm kind of running behind, so I'm going to race through it, but go home and look at it. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Do you know that the, earth, that, that the church used to be, church used to be the birthplace of the arts? That's where it was. I was asked between services, well, when did that change? Well, it, it started changing with the Protestant Reformation, really. Uh, and, and really with Calvinism, it began to change a lot. It really picked up steam in the 19th century in this country. Uh, with the holiness movement, when all this stuff was just, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not holy. That's wrong. But God gave it to us. I mean, bless the Lord, oh my soul. That song, when we get to that 10,000 years thing, oh, 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 that's, yeah. And there's just, there's just, power there and it's enduring power you don't know who won the gladiator games in rome you know it wasn't russell crowe i'll tell you that right now but you you don't know who won the gladiator games in rome but you know who painted the sistine chapel you know who carved the 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 statue of david you know who bach is all all of these all of these things used to be a part of the church and for us, it's not, just about, it's not just about theater. I love that picture. It's, it's not just about theater. The only thing that would be better is if the guy was Alan Smith. All right, now that you've got that image. It's also about music and about dance and about painting and sculpture and writing and, and all, of the, all, of the, all of the creative arts. Uh, I've, I've been asked by... Uh, by, by pastors at times, you know, how do you start a theater in your church? And I only half-jokingly say to them, start a dance ministry first. Because everybody will be so upset by the dance ministry that they won't notice that you have started a theater. I didn't know that. That was just a gift of God. That just sort of happened with us. But that's, 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 the, way, that's the way that it... That's the way that it took place. And we're not in it to make money. You know, I, I know you kind of, if you look at some of the paintings out there, there's, there are prices on them. None of that's for us. You, you know, there are plenty of, there are artists all over this area, and you don't know them. They don't have any place to hang their stuff. So if, as long as it's something that we can deal with, we've had to turn a few down, haven't we, Connie? Yeah, but most of them, as long as it's something that glorifies God and what, what he's done, We'll, we'll put it up out there, and, and if it's good, and uh, you know, and if it's and if it's got a price on it, every penny of that 
would go to the artist, and I, I promise you, if it were in a gallery downtown, it'd be twice that because of the cut the gallery takes. You know, we don't, we're not we're not in it for money. Uh, uh, Springhouse Theater, oh, by the way, Lamplighters Theater doesn't exist anymore. It's now Springhouse Theater because we figured, hey, uh, now that we've got a cool name for a church, we just ought to name the theater that. Uh, but we don't budget any money for Springhouse Theater whatsoever. None of it, uh, it it's self-supporting. In fact, about three or four years ago, it kind of saved the church's bacon <laughs> by investing money, putting, putting money back into the church. So that's probably something you need to know. Two reasons why we do the arts. One, to attract those who would not otherwise come to church. And you know who you are. And you know some of those people, and I've been telling you to invite them to a play. They will come. And, and you know, and there's a possibility that they may go, you know what, I think I'll try church again. And then secondly, to attract those in the arts who feel disenfranchised by the church. You know, a lot of people in the arts, once they discover that they've got this gift from God, they also discover there's no place for them in the church anymore. Whatever that gift may happen to be. A, a, an artistic gift. And so... It's really all, ultimately all about service. To prepare God's people for works of service. We exist to do that. We want to serve the servers. That's what the missions outreach is all about. Oftentimes we'll go and serve the missionary. People always want to go and, and, and serve the locals, and that's great. And if that's what the missionary needs, we'll do that. But they tend to forget that the missionary has needs too. We go and serve the missionary. Uh, serve the generations, the, the young and the old, and, and bring them together. Let them be a part of each other, part of each other's lives, to serve, serve the disenfranchised. I don't know who that guy is. He plays an accordion. He's got a Viking puppet in front of him. I know that a lot of churches probably wouldn't have any room for, for him. Ultimately, we want to serve the Lord because whatever you have done for one of the least of these... You've done for him. What we do, we do in his name. The works of service are for him. And that is the vision of this house. Would you stand with me? <laughs> Would those who are going to pray with people come forward? And, and let me, let me just say one other thing, too, because at times uh, people will say to me, now, Pastor, you don't have to get in a hurry now. You know, we'll stay here and listen to you. But it just it, strangely enough, it's never anybody who's back there working with the kids. <laughs> and so that's why I try to end on time, because I want to respect them and love them and honor them for their service. If you're here this morning and you, uh, and you need a family, God's got one for you. And, uh, and he'll accept you into it. It doesn't matter, short, tall, ugly, pretty, yellow, green, whatever you are. Pleasant, mean. He loves you. And he'll accept you. So if you don't know Christ, we would invite you to come. If you're already a part of the family and you're here and maybe you've, you know, every family, you have, you have, you have problems, you have issues. Maybe it was a, just a mean, somebody's been mean to you. Something didn't work out. Sickness has come. The enemies come against you in some way. 
We want to pray for you. These are your brothers and your sisters, and they love you. And they'll pray with you. We're going to sing one more song. Worship. If you don't need to come, worship with us. If you do, come. We want to pray for you. God would like to bring healing, strength, encouragement. He hasn't abandoned you. Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world so that he might have a family 
sons and daughters, everyone who believes on him. May the imprint of that family be found in you. May you walk in the confidence and the grace of those who belong to him. And may you extend that grace and that love to those who are around you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.